future nostalgia all for me is nothing but just like dance pop sunshine and it's pointing to much brighter directions for her and for all the pop music let's be frank go on disco revival i'm all for it you're listening to it's all dead a podcast about the music we love and why we love it i'm kyle hawk Welcome to It's All Dead. Thank you for joining the podcast today or tonight or tomorrow or whenever you're listening to this episode of our show. Uh, I'm Kyle Hawk, editor-in-chief at itsalldead.com. And uh, last you heard from us on this show, um, we were kind of at the at the very beginnings of a new new way of life and kind of figuring out what it looks like to quarantine ourselves inside of our home and uh, you use music to cope with a lot of really bad stuff going on in the world, and uh, not a lot has changed <laughs> since then, but um, we're, as I promised, we're going to keep doing this podcast, we're going to keep talking about music, and uh, we're going to um, have as much fun as you possibly can have, and if you came to It's All Dead last week, you saw the review for Dua Lipa's new album, Future Nostalgia. I mean, if you read that, you know how much fun I have been having with that album. It has been such a breath of fresh air. Um, and just, I don't know, it's just something I needed. I, I don't even know how to explain it, but I'm going to try to explain it on the show today. And in order to get some help in, in doing that, um, I decided to bring in a friend who I also saw the same day that uh, our review of Dua Lipa's album went live. Uh, so did his. You've heard him before on the show. It's Evan Saudi of Pop Matters. Evan, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to yet again be on Royals Cast. What's John Sherman <laughs> up to? What's he doing this year? I'm so excited to find out. I love. I've, I think about this. I love. I love that you do your homework on this, like like googling uh, the latest Royals news or something. Dude, it it sucks. It fucking sucks. There's no baseball, uh, which right? is something I I use to distract myself from. Like when I'm really down, like you know, I mean, all all of my distractions, so many of them have have gone up in smoke. But you know, it's the least of our worries. So I'm trying to remind myself of that. But yeah, I know. I think you need to get big into video games now. I feel like that's kind <laughs> I've of the thought next about it. Move. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think you need to get into. You did start doing those Fortnite dance crazes. I think it's. I go. think it's going to happen. So yeah, yeah. Hey, thank well, you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I, have you been keeping yourself busy? It seems like you've been keeping yourself busy writing during all this. It's like when you're in the house, you know, there's there's no excuse to put it off. You might as well just crank something out, right? Well, it's crazy because, like, for me, uh, especially coming out of, like, out of winter when we still thought we were able to have plans and things like that, uh, yeah. I kind of took a break after a while. We finished season four of my podcast, The Chartographers, about ranking music and everything. Uh, and we just took a break from that. And then I just kind of got my new gaming computer and i just started like working on stuff i started working on music more a little bit i just kind of was doing kind of that kind of stuff being like oh don't worry we'll have all of spring to do it and then i just kind of took a break from writing and then that was right around that time then i started i made my uh feature debut with entertainment weekly and yes. then i got to the point now where it's just like in april i'm just like well i'm here for a while i'll take all these assignments and now i have so, so much more i've done more writing <laughs> i think in the last month than i have like for a, not all of last year but definitely it just feels like a lot more is happening all at once so uh yeah yeah i'm back into it i'm keeping myself busy yeah you've been very very prolific in the entertainment weekly thing i was going to bring that up here in a little bit that's fantastic i, I should have introduced introduced you that way Evan Saudi uh, of Entertainment Weekly. I mean that that's cool, man. Tell us yes. for anybody that didn't see it. Tell us about what that what that article was. 
Uh, it was uh, something that was basically kind of an unusual uh, thing for me. Uh, it was something that they came to be about. It was just a very simple. They wanted a lot more evergreen articles, people that can just pick, you know, click on and they can rerun any old time. So it was a piece that was more about uh, art, artists that left bands to have successful solo careers. So just yeah. like, okay, you know, like it's a fun, you know, trivial kind of thing. Uh, but like, yeah, I was happy to do it. It was definitely a challenge on here. I've uh, Some of the other pitches I've submitted for other publications will be coming up soon, including lists of, one, I still have yet to find a place to do my dream list right now, which is uh, the biggest album flops of all time. Mm. Uh, I'm very excited about. But I'm also excited about another one that I'm doing that I'm working on right now for um, the best and worst posthumous albums. All of those Ooh. records that were released following the passing of a major artist or, you know, a major player in a band or something like that. Because there yeah. have been some good ones and there have been some absolute <laughs> dog shit ones. Yeah, and man. like I can't it's like such a, it's one of those niche things I love diving into. So I can't wait to jump into that. It's going to be fun. Oh, man, I can't wait. I, I love this stuff. You always come up with some really great ideas um, of kind of these these fun things to dive into that I always like think about in my head. But I would never like I don't have it in me to like write something intelligent about it. So I, I love that, uh, that you do this stuff. It's very cool. Um, and as I, as I mentioned, uh, you've got a review up at pop matters of the new Dua Lipa album, future nostalgia. Yeah. Um, I, it, I've, I've said this before. It's like, I, I write something and then I read something you write about the same thing. And I'm like, Oh, that's what it is. That's, that's the right take. Um, I, I loved your review. Um, and it's, we both really enjoy this album. And so I was like, we got to talk about it. And we've never talked about, I don't think we've ever talked about Dua Lipa specifically, but I've no. been, I've been in the Dua Lipa fan club for a while now. I'm going to go ahead and, uh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say I, I've been on the bandwagon a little bit longer mm-hmm. than, uh, I think most folks have. Maybe Some as haters. long as most like, yeah. yeah. Maybe as long as most like indie music critics have, but, um, you know, it's, I, I was so looking forward to this album. I really enjoyed it. Tell me how you, how, how you ended up getting into her. Where did you hear about her first and what were your first impressions? Oh, I mean, this is entirely my husband's doing. Uh, and he's someone who basically, for the longest time, he really kept track of the foreign charts, especially the UK charts, because unlike the American charts, they're a lot more volatile. Like, if a, mm. if a, there's a UK number one for two weeks, that is just craziness. That is just madness over there. Uh, and I think largely because for the longest time, it was still largely a physically driven uh, market. And obviously, it's right. recently moving to digital, like the US has done a long time ago. Uh, so as such, they're getting a little bit less volatile. But he discovered... Uh, uh, new rules way way back then because it came out i believe in june of 2016 and i didn't yeah. really formally hit the u.s number one until i believe six months later uh or nine months later basically it was a yeah. slow stretch in order for mm-hmm. new rules to do what it did and so she obviously the thing about uh she had moi she had a couple other songs prior to new rules but really that kind of anointed her as like the new uh, outspoken uh, pop diva that would also just kind of like, she's not afraid to say things that are empowering. But the biggest Mm -hmm. thing for me is that like, there was a lot of hype going into future nostalgia. But the thing that was striking to me is when I was revisiting the first album too, because musically her self-titled debut album is interesting because like the musically, it doesn't do anything too crazy. Like a lot of the sonics on that album, I think are just kind of like in line with, roughly contemporary 
pop trends to the point of like, I think it's good. I don't think it necessarily has that musical voice, but lyrically she definitely had a voice. She had a voice of like, I don't need this shit. I don't need to be in this relationship anymore. I mean, I think YouTube views kind of tell another story, but at least in terms of U.S. radio, I don't give a fuck is a wildly underrated song. Uh, mm-hmm. It does not near have anywhere near the power of it, but it's just this nice stomping, powerful number that you can get behind, which is great. And that was her aesthetic. So that's why when we started seeing some of what she was doing for her new song, for her new album, the single started coming out. It was like, okay, this is a different perspective than what we've seen mm-hmm. before. She's not just a pop star that happened to be beamed out of nowhere and looks wet all the time. She's like very much, <laughs> I mean, genuinely that's kind of, that, I could see that from perception of some people, but I think honestly, one of the biggest things in her favor was between the two albums, she did some collaborations. She had some mm-hmm. in-between little things. And for me, like when she did that song with Calvin Harris, when she did one kiss, which is just a, beautiful disco pop masterpiece of a single as Calvin Harris is when he's in his good moods. Uh, It's genuinely, it was striking. She just, her delivery was just that perfect amount of detached. It was just that perfect level of just like engagement that she had on it. She clearly had a connection with the material. It's just like, she might not be a pop star. She might be a dance diva. And I think she figured her out around the same time that we as an audience realized, Oh, this could actually be her lane. Uh, yeah. which is kind of like, so while my husband definitely has heard me on, I'm just like, okay, this is good. I like the song. Her album didn't strike me in the way that this new one, Future Nostalgia, does. Yeah, and I, I you know, I'm with you to an extent on that, for sure. I, What I think about when I think about her debut, and, you know, I, I want to talk about the new rules. I, I want to talk about new rules for just a second, because, I mean, that's kind of like the gateway drug into that album oh, yeah. for most people. The um, two-verse, yeah. And... You know, people that that know me know how obsessed I am with music videos and the new (laughs) rules music video. Like I've watched that video like so many times. It's like ridiculously good. It's just an an incredible music video. Um, And and that was kind of my introduction. But, uh, you know, I ended up enjoying songs like Hotter Than Hell. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, there were so many good songs on that album. One of the things I wrote about in uh, my review of Future Nostalgia is that it it's it's pacing is off um she does yes. maybe a few too many ballads on the debut with i mean it never really gets into a groove but what i love about the debut is that when i think about debut albums i think about potential and when i for me her debut album was all about me thinking about where this could go right and yes. just like you when you know uh you know the the calvin harris track uh, when kiss comes, when electricity comes, you start to, that's where I started to get excited of like, okay, this is, this is what I could kind of envision happening. And then future nostalgia in and of itself is, is just everything I, I could have hoped for. Now I, I will say, I want to talk about the first three singles that she released from this album because, um, so she put out don't start now, mm-hmm. uh, future nostalgia, which really flew under the radar. Um, and I think it's because it was so weird and I love how goddamn weird it is. Right. And then physical future nostalgia was actually my favorite of those three singles. Um, it took me a while to kind of, I mean, don't start now is just an obvious like pop smash, but I wasn't like, I knew that I wanted more from that 
yeah. more than that from the album and I got it. But at the time it was like, uh, okay. And then the, the title track was where I was just like, yeah, let's get fucking weird. Cause I remember even before that track came out, she was like, uh, I'd read something where she said, yeah, she was drawn influence from like Prince and Andre 3000. And I was like, okay. I, I mean, yeah. let's see where this goes. So what were your thoughts as kind of those, those singles were trickling out? I have to be, uh, fully, fully, a hundred percent, absolutely honest here. I actually agree with you on all of these points because don't start now. The fact that it's actually outpaced uh, new rules on the U.S. charts kind of blows my mind a little yeah. bit uh, because it's one of the things like it's a good song. It's a vibe, certainly, but it's one of the things where it doesn't necessarily strike all the bells of like this is the new radio smash that everyone's going to be getting into. I thought right. physical kind of fit more into that lane, which is like basically the weekend trying to do a Olivia Newton-John number. <laughs> like that's kind of how I get the sense of that one there. Like she wants to do these striking things, but it's also clear. It's one of the things I mentioned in my review is that uh, because she rose to fame so quickly and so suddenly, except in the U.S. where it took nine months, uh, I feel like she just kind of appeared out of nowhere. Oh, this is your diva. She wins Best New Artist. This is your diva, yeah. kind of suddenly. And I think a lot of people are just like, she's unpolished, she's unclean. And that's why a lot of like these videos started circulating of like Dua Lipa dance fails. And to be 100% honest... Uh, she wasn't a great dancer. Uh, she's one of right. the things where she very clearly on stage, she's doing the choreography, but she is very unpolished, to put it lightly. So these videos of her dance fails, it's not, I mean, like, it is a little bit nasty and mean, but also there's a small degree of like, well, the footage is there. It was something sure. they filmed. It was real. And I feel like somehow she got word of that. I, you know, she's very online, but I don't think she, I didn't think she'd be that online to necessarily see that or have that kind of stuff come across her vision. But she clearly took it yeah. to heart because I'm making a dance album and also I'm learning how to dance, which is why when she appears on like all these various like, you know, live broadcasts and award shows and whatnot, she is coming in for it. She's not like the greatest dancer in the world, but she is nailing the choreography. She's taking this shit yeah. seriously. In the physical video, she's absolutely showing off that bot and she's absolutely showing off that choreography. Like she is putting in the work to make this happen. We're basically, I'm not going to have this happen again. She understands what happened the first time around. And I feel like with future nostalgia, that's kind of the thing she wanted to do is that she may also have felt like it's boring to sing ballads in front of a live stage audience. I want to make a dance album. That's what I want to do. So the song future nostalgia I fucking love it. It's that right, mm-hmm. that perfect amount of weird, but literally the first thirty seconds are straight out of the Prince playbook. Like it's just yep. not even to the point of like homage as much as it's like slightly ripping off, you know, like some classic era stuff from like nineteen ninety nine or whatever. Like I yeah. absolutely was a fan of it. And the biggest thing about this album is that I really tend to like it. The weirder it gets, I think, mm-hmm. is the stronger it gets. Uh, yeah. And to, to be honest, there's one song I think is going to be very divisive amongst fans it's called Good in Bed. It's this right. very uh, Natasha Bedingfield kind of like piano pop. And, you know, she's singing it and she talks about this relationship that's not working, but at least the sex is still great. And so then she's singing, she's singing. And then all of a sudden it gets to the chorus. You want to go, bye, 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 bye. Like she drops tone. <laughs> she kind of has this kind of nanner, nanner kind of uh, uh, chorus here. Like it's right. very divisive. Like everyone I've played it for has hated it. I might be the only person in my friend group who really likes it. Um, uh, but one of the things I think it's interesting that uh, it kind of creates that kind of response. Like, it's just interesting that she is still, uh, she'd be in a goof really on this one here, which is right. you don't get from the debut album, which is so polished and clean. And like, again, kind of pop star perfect here. It's just like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to do this. And that sense of fun that you feel is palpable. It's relatable. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I mean, you can tell that she's having a good time. She says from the outset that she's kind of doing it her way. She's going to make the, the album that she wants. And so you kind of just are all in at that point for, for whatever comes. The, the final two tracks, uh, Good in Bed and Boys Will Be Boys are kind of where the album falls off for me. That's the only weak point. And I don't necessarily hate either of those tracks. Um, but it does, it, it stumbles to the finish line, I feel like, in, in, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, and I want to talk about Boys Will Be Boys here in just a moment. But, you know, going back to kind of the lead up here, there were so many different rumors of collaborations that she had. I think uh, there was like Pharrell. I can't remember if like uh, Lady Gaga. I, I don't even remember. There was just all these names being thrown around, like she was right. writing with, recording with, pro- producing tracks. There was, you know, around 60 songs in total and the album comes and, and none of that is there. Um, I mean, was that a, was that a surprise for you of, or, I mean, to me, it just feels like what happened was like naturally exactly what it needed to be and the rest of the stuff wasn't going to fit but there was so much buzz and just circulating rumors leading up to it that it was interesting to see so many of those things like not really make the cut i was actually kind of a little bit surprised to see that when you sent over some of the uh, show notes and talking points on here because for whatever reason i just hadn't really kept up on a lot of that stuff genuinely uh and sure. the reason is that like it i was excited about the prospect of a new album but i wasn't as excited as i was when i started hearing the direction she was going in uh and so it's one of the things where it's clear that the thing is you hear about this with a lot of different artists you hear about with other people that just like i wrote 200 songs or whatever and had to whittle it down and like in some cases that's like actually true i feel like there was a degree amidst the you know high-end pop literati like another artist that i happen to know is uh, it's all dead approved taylor swift uh, <laughs> who also tends to write a whole bunch more songs than is featured on there and i think yeah. that really speaks as the power of what you do as an editor uh it's one of the things where okay is this gonna gonna be a song it's not here for the album but maybe it'll be a soundtrack cut for something who knows like you never right. kind of know these kind of things and i feel like the biggest thing about it is to have when you look at future nostalgia as an album what are the words that you want to come to mind the single word phrases that you want to have to describe it it is dancey it is 80s it is sleek it is synthy uh you know there's all these different things that come to mind and i feel like maybe it was something where they wrote she wrote a whole bunch of songs and kind of narrowed down as to what the vision is but Unlike the debut album, which feels like a collection of songs, this feels like an album. This feels yes. like an experience that she wanted to have on here. So maybe she needed to write all those songs or have those collaborations on there to make it work. But at the end of the day, it's just like, you know, maybe this will be a B-side. Maybe this will be a deluxe edition bonus add-on later on over the fact. Uh, it, you know, it could happen. I will say, though, as a quick side tangent... Uh, I am kind of the proponent. I am a good uh, fetishist of uh, pop music and singles and things like that. I mm-hmm. love when there's B-sides and EPs and like other ephemera that you can yeah. easily find and dive into and you have to look for. And not every, in my opinion, not every album needs to be a deluxe album. Uh, Mm -hmm. because you know not every album is worthy of that but in terms of like packaging i know sometimes like hey this album came out a year ago here's the deluxe edition or whatnot you know never not everything's good as when carly ray jepson decides to release side b of all of the other tracks that she wrote for her the 200 songs she wrote for her album that she whittled down to 15 or whatever Uh, but the thing i will say is that there's this trend now especially in the streaming era of artists that are after they put out the their album on the streaming services five or six days later they put out the deluxe edition that's the same album with four norse form new songs or remixes yep. as a way to kind of keep them out there. I hate that trend so much. <laughs> oh my God, I hate that trend. And so I will say credit to you, Dua. Your album has been out for a week 
and you have not succumbed to that. So I, I appreciate that. She might have another 50 or more songs to be working with or playing with here, but right now she's keeping them on wraps. Big fan, big fan of that. Yeah, and it'll happen because I think her debut that was like the deluxe edition and then the complete edition, and there was like three different editions right. of the debut album, and it's nuts because it's like, what am I? You know, what's the album? Just I, I want to experience the album. I always get thrown off uh, with that. I'm, I'm kind of like you, so um, I, I like what we have. It's super cohesive. It, it breezes by in no time at all. Um, I, I want to talk about some of our a couple of our favorite tracks and, yes. and some things that. Um, yeah, and if there was any that stuck out to you that you weren't as into, I, I keep, I just like all of them. <laughs> so that's hard, but yeah. even boys will be boys. I'm, I'm struggling with boys will be boys. Let's, that's let's okay. start there. Cause okay. I, I said we were going to come back to it. We'll go from worst now, to first. Yeah. So boys will be boys. Um, here's my take on it. Like, I feel like, you know, when new rules came out, you know, it's this female empowerment anthem and everybody kind of attaches like, that like in their brain to like mm-hmm. okay do a leap right and it's and it's thread throughout future nostalgia i mean she starts off with the first track of you know you're not used to a female alpha and i kind of like talked about setting that tone for like this is, i'm doing this my way um I'm, I'm in control of the the art that i'm making i i feel like boys will be boys is a thing where she's leaning into something that is projected onto her in a way, I could be, I'm, I have no right to say any of this or make any conjecture, but the mm-hmm. song, you just listen to it and you're like, ah, like, I know what you're trying to do here, but when you're not trying to do it and you're just doing it, like throughout the rest of the album, it just works so well. But that song, for whatever reason, it just feels forced. Its intentions feel so obvious. It's one of the things like there's evocative images of her, you know, like girls walking to their cars with their keys in their hands, you know, like, you yeah. know, between their fingers. And it's just like, okay, I, you know, like, that's a strong image. I get that. Yeah. It just, it feels in this light, bouncy, like, pseudo-orchestral kind of backing that it has. It just feels a little bit, like, off in terms of tone. Like, I'm not sure if the tone of the song needs to be more serious in order to land this. It's just, it just feels like such an odd thing to end the album on, especially after we've had so many upbeat, feel-good dance tracks. Like, this is the thing that you want to say at the end. If this was something yeah. that you added onto a deluxe edition, it would have been like, okay, it makes sense. I understand right. why you would do that. But instead, it somehow made it onto the album. Maybe it's something that's more, more personal or something. I get it, but at the same time, it's just one of the things where I think even most fans kind of are of the agreement, and most critics, at least from what I've seen, are just like, that is definitely the weakest song on the album, which is so strange given how much of the other stuff is on here, like Break My Heart, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a thing that, that is a song that thrives on its minimalism. Uh, It's just a very simple, this is such a like bass guitar heavy album. Uh, there's yes. just all these little like plinks and plunks and just little, you know, like things that are going on that just kind of give it this sense of feel and character. And quite frankly, I like those moments when she kind of strips everything down a little bit, just where it's just like, it's sleek, it's cool, but it never rises to like, here's a synth explosion in the middle of your chorus. It's just like, no, we're keeping it sleek. We're keeping it this vibe. Roll with it. Yep, absolutely. So I, I'm going to throw a few. I already mentioned Future Nostalgia, the, the lead track mm-hmm. is one of my favorites. Uh, if I had to to pick here, I'm looking at "Cool," "Hallucinate," and "Break My Heart" as maybe the the top three of the top four for me. Um, I, which which are the stand? Which do you see? You know, I'm going to listen to this album in its entirety repeatedly. But if you're going to just pull up a track, you know, you're in the you're you're feeling it. You're in the you're vibing. You're you're pulling up a track from this album. Which ones are you going to be reaching to this summer? Oh. 
I mean, it's hallucinate. It's just hands down hallucinate. It is just one of my one of my good friends, John Harvey, who's uh, also contributed to Pop Matters and also been on our podcast uh, before uh, to the chartographers to rank some stuff. He pointed out that he isn't sure what hallucinate is he's not sure if it's like the best lady gaga song we've gotten this year or what (laughs) like he's trying to figure out exactly where his place is but it has that vibe it is just pure like is it supposed to be the best britney song we've never heard i'm not sure it's just pure dance pop energy it's everything you want it's this series of escalating drum patterns where each time it it, something new element comes in it feels bigger and bigger until that full release of the chorus like i wish lyrically she did something a little bit more interesting than your love is a drug kind of like she goes a a little bit further a little bit interesting she i feel like she could have gone even weirder with it but god damn it is just a stomper it is just like this feel good synth pop moment that i think is even more future nostalgia than the song future nostalgia is you know yeah Uh, absolutely and i and i and i love that i love that i also was a fan i like cool i think the synth tones that she has on cool are great i didn't realize that was also a tovlo co-write because tovlo as we know is perpetually underrated uh incredible (laughs) diva that she is but i was also a fan of levitating levitating had a nice Mm. briskness to its uh pop moments that i also really really enjoyed ultimately the end of the day i've listened to this album a lot here and I will say that I think Hallucinate is just such an absolute gobsmack, punch you in the face highlight uh, that it is it is the one I will keep coming back to. I hope it comes out as a single so the rest of the world can feel its joy. But then yeah. again, you never know in that case because I feel like the best song off of uh, Taylor Swift's 1989 was uh, New Romantics off the deluxe edition. Ooh. And she did put it out as a single and it didn't do as well. But, you know, I still give her credit for actually pulling, pulling the gun and putting yeah, it out yeah. as a single. So, yeah. That's awesome. So w- one thing I'll say uh, about uh, future nostalgia that doesn't mean anything in the world, but I'm just sharing it on this podcast. Yes. So uh, my my daughter, Willow, turns uh, 10 months old uh-huh. next week or this weekend, actually. And, you know, she's starting to do things. Right. And so last Friday, when this album comes out, you know, we get up in the morning. It's the first thing I do is I put on Future Nostalgia. And she just starts like bopping and dancing and like, like she hasn't done this before. And this album, for whatever reason, we've played it for a few more times this week. Like she is into it. Like, and it's just so fun the first time to see her like, like just vibing to, to music like this. So, uh, you know, I, again, you know, what, what does that mean? Well, who knows, but uh, Willow is a, a fan of future nostalgia, so I'm just I'm throwing that. that out there. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where one of my one of my good friends, Adam, he had he had his daughter just turned one years old, and before she was even born, the one thing I would do to piss him the fuck off would be to play Baby Shark when that was a thing for a little <laughs> bit. He hated yeah. it. He hated it. And then yeah. someone showed him a video of this like small like you know. 18 month year old or whatever asking their uh smart speaker to play baby shark and when it comes on just has the most joyous dance moves of all time to go (laughs) along with it and that's kind of the thing that changes thing where all of a sudden like fatherhood kind of was a new prism of which to appreciate things the things that he saw was corny or cheesy or whatever all of a sudden it's just like oh no that's so great though like the thing is as much as like as you get older you think a lot about the joy that music brings to yourself but sometimes especially in these quarantine times when you're with your close loved ones and family you're also thinking about what affects them together like maybe before you had a night out with the boys on the weekend to go see a movie but now it's like if you're at home with your wife it's just like well what kind of things make her happy no even better Mm -hmm. question what kind of things make us happy and kind of finding like that kind of thing there so i think i think i think that's a great prism of which to view it through like this is the album if this affects willow's life 
for all the better, all for the positive. I am a big fan of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's wrap up this Dua Lipa conversation by talking about, um, you know, where she, I, I, you know, when I sent you the notes, I put, what is Dua Lipa's place in, in pop in 2020? And, and what I mean by that is, you know, let's say coming into this year that, uh, Dua Lipa is around, you know, a, you know, a C level, arguably B level pop star in the States. Uh, and that might be pushing it a little bit. I feel like this, this album has the potential to kind of, you know, thrust her forward into kind of like the, the overall general consciousness of like, oh yeah, Dua Lipa is a, is a pop star here. I mean, do you, do you think that that's something that could happen? I mean, obviously this is a weird year anyway. So God only knows like what we're going to walk away from 2020 with in our minds of what we took away from the year in music. But what, I don't know. How do you view that? I think the biggest thing for me when it comes to this question is that uh, one of my friends sent me uh, some, like, you know, remix that someone posted on Instagram uh, putting Britney vocals over uh, Hallucinate. Uh, and just, I'm just like, mm-hmm. is, is Dua Lipa the new Britney? And the thing is that, like, he said no, and I kind of agreed. I said it in jest. But the thing is, I'm like, what is Dua Lipa specifically? Because at this point, and this is just me being a little bit brash, uh, I, it's one of those things where I will say, I don't think Dua Lipa is the first Dua Lipa. I don't think she's at that point yet, but it's mm-hmm. one of those things where I feel like the closest thing I can think about her is like early Madonna, kind of like a pop star that is like semi self serious that also is there to make dance music outright and forthright that just happens to also have big broad mainstream appeal, big top 40 hits and whatnot. Like, I feel like that's kind of the realm that she's in right now. She's kind of occupying a weird place of like the serious uh, dance pop star. It has little moments of goofiness and wackiness that we can see, but also kind of ever increasingly controlling her image a little bit. She's not like Ariana Grande, where it's just like, you keep, literally can't photograph her from one side because that's her bad side. And you know, she <laughs> has things that's out there where you can't do that. Uh, but the thing is that, like, I feel like she's kind of occupying that space. I do yeah. love how with Future Nostalgia, we're seeing a little bit more of her actual personality. And I hope it is successful. And I hope its success spurns her on to be her own goddamn thing even more so. And mm-hmm. I hope she makes more collaborations. I hope there's more Silk City collaborations out there. I hope other things happen along those lines. But at this point, it's one of those things where I think she's finding her identity. I say the Madonna comparison because that feels like the closest binary I can associate with her in terms right. of like what space is she occupying. But similarly, I feel like she could very much branch out, and she will be the first Dua Lipa that we have here pretty soon. So Future Nostalgia, all for me, is nothing but just like dance pop sunshine, and it's pointing to much brighter directions for her and for all of pop music, let's be frank. Go on. Disco Revival, yeah. I'm all for it. Yep, it was much needed. And to that point, the the one thing that we didn't talk about is that this album's release was pushed forward. And I, I want to talk a little bit about release dates right now because um, we're seeing a lot of dates get pushed back. Um, uh-huh. You know, and so often, like, I mean, if you're an artist, like you're you're timing these album releases with like so many other elements. It's not like oh, the album's out and that's the thing, right? I mean, you're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, concert announcements, ticket sale bundles. Like there's there's all these different variables and we're seeing a lot of things get pushed back. The the one caveat here is that Dua Lipa's album did leak um, prior to its release. So there's that element to consider when you think about why she pushed it forward. But you sent me a, an article on Variety um, uh, before we did this podcast talking about this, of kind of the dynamic we're seeing. Because there's arguments on both sides here, right? There's the argument of like if if you want to be smart from just like a a financial and business standpoint like maybe now isn't the time to to release your new album but there's also the other 
I think side of the argument that's like you have the opportunity to kind of own the moment because what else is there, right? I mean, there, there's so few other distractions other than just the the big general looming distraction of like what we're all living in right now. But from an opportunity to consume content, um, it seems like an opportune time to strike and have that moment that people are going to remember. So I wanted to get, get your take on how you've kind of been interpreting this as you've seen different artists. We've seen the 1975 this week, push their album back again. We've seen Lady Gaga, uh, push her album back indefinitely. Um, but then we've seen the weekend have a lot of success, uh, a, a few weeks ago and obviously do a leap now. So what's your take on all this? I think that there's a different games that you're playing with if you're an independent artist versus if you're a big mainstream artist, if you're a known figure. I'll always yeah. remember that Mac Miller once did an interview where he talked about he was putting out one of his albums and it was like, hey, the date that they initially had was like he was going up against, I think, uh, like Kanye and he was going up against, I think, uh, Lil Wayne, something like it was like really a lot of big rappers at the same time. And he's like, I don't I don't feel good about this because like. I mean, I can't compete with those guys. I'm not going to even, you know, be anywhere near it because for a lot of mainstream artists, having a number one album, having all those album sales, it's a sign of superiority. It's a sign of strength. It's just, it's honestly a way first week sales are a way how the industry measures a lot of things instead of like a longstanding hit. You know, not every album is going to be rumors and go on to sell millions of copies holding on at number one for 17 yeah. months or whatever. But the thing is that like when he said that, I think it was Kendrick Lamar who told him like, if you don't compete with the greatest, then how can you even consider yourself on the echelon of the greatest? And it was that kind of conversation where he was just like okay and he kept to the release date and he debuted at number three when it came out and he felt good about that because it's just like i'm not shying away from being up there i'm realizing this could be my place up here with the greats which i thought was really really cool yeah and i feel like in this modern day era especially when streaming is such a thing especially when the weekend puts out a fucking deluxe edition five days afterwards because they need a goose streaming number somehow dag nabbit <laughs> uh you know i feel like it's one of those things where they still are relying on that, but they're also relying on promotional cycles. First week sales mean a lot because it does show strength. And to a degree, as a commercial crass and capitalist as it is, I think there's a little bit of truth to that. You know, like to find out that Taylor Swift can constantly move 1.2 million copies of her album in a debut week, that's a good sign of strength, except Lover debuted at 800,000. You know, times change and what I understand. And yeah. then, of course, you know, we all remember InSync Celebrity having its infamous 2.4 million copies sold in the first week, you know, which was incredible. And then, of course, Adele comes in and destroys all of that. Adele, save the record industry again, as you always do, <laughs> if you wouldn't yeah. mind, if you have some time. And so it's one of those things where, like, I think it's it, people use it as an indicator. I think that genuinely the fact that Justin Bieber, when he debuted with his new album, Changes, which for the record, fans listening at home, is really dog shit. It is not a good album. I'm sorry. Uh, but the thing is, when yeah. he put his new album and it debuted to like a quarter million copies and his last one debuted at 600,000 and the fact that a week prior a freaking BTS debuted with 350,000 copies and suddenly Bieber Bieber has just a quarter million he's not hitting anywhere near those goals like it kind of spoke to the fact that hey Bieber this new direction for you of like sensual marital sex isn't really the vibe people are feeling like genuinely and so I feel like there's a degree of that I feel like with the weekend he had opportune time because prior to coronavirus uh, really hitting and affecting pretty much every industry, including touring, I feel like he had been laying down the groundwork for a couple months prior. He had a lot of the singles. He had yeah. a lot of the music videos filmed. He had a lot of the Fallon and Colbert and other performances already filmed, so they could just kind of release those as is. I feel like with Gaga putting out her stuff, I feel like with Gaga delaying, she probably hadn't done that yet. She had the single Stupid Love ready to go. She probably had other plans, but obviously they had to go ahead and push those back and delay. Do a leap literally the day the 
album came out, dropped the music video for Break My Heart because mm-hmm. she could, because it was there, it was ready, they were ready to go with it, so it made sense. So I feel like a lot of these things, Gaga doesn't want to be the kind of person to put out an album that debuts to like 90,000 copies and fades away. She, I mean, in a perfect world, yep. it would be retained and people would still listen to it and vibe it there, but she just doesn't feel like she's in her commercial element. So to be perfectly honest, we as a populace were streaming. I feel, I feel like I'm streaming a lot more. I understand a lot of people use their commute to stream a lot more, but sure. you know, maybe people might be turning to movies a lot more or even network television, Dear Gods, which is actually seeing a bump <laughs> in this day and age. But like, I think for a lot of different big mainstream artists, it's very crass, but at the same time, first week sales are a sign of strength and kind of that's what they need to do. So if they have an album cycle ready to go of all the promos they need, they can pull that trigger for you. Other ones, they might be a little bit more shy. Even a band that you and I really love, the 1975, uh, they Mm -hmm. pushed back their album yet again, uh, their new album until May. Uh, But also I looked at it and that is an album with a 22 song track list. So it is very much designed to be streamed. Make no mistake. They want to stack those streaming numbers as high as they can by having that many more songs. So is it any good? Will it be another confusing mess? Will there be one undeniable pop classic moment out of it? I am positive. Uh, but at the same time, it's just a little bit just hard to be like, they're aiming for streams. With a track list like that, right. I'm not sure about an album so much as it is trying to be a playlist. Well, to that point, I want to jump ahead to one of the points I had to kind of wrap up the conversation and, and talking about like what summer 2020 is going to look like for, for popular music. Um, so let's say that there's all these different variables variables impacting all of this. and And we could see like sort of a... I don't know, for lack of a better description, sort of a pop music desert, you know, for a few months here, if people do decide to delay releases or if there's, you know, whatever the case may be. And obviously the way we consume music this summer could look completely different than it has in, in years past. I mean, I know it's impossible to, to look ahead even a day, let alone a couple months. But like, as, as we think about how things could be impacted, including the music industry and including, including people's, you know, I've already, we've already had multiple, you know, shows that we were going to go to being postponed or canceled. Like, what does that look like in your mind as you think about it? And how is that going to affect the way that, you know, when we get to the end of the year and we're trying to like compartmentalize all this and make sense of it? How do you see that kind of impacting things? I mean, the thing is, is that I, and this is something that we talked a little bit off mic about too, is that I feel like we as humans have a degree of normalcy set into us. We have routines. Routines bring us comfort. Uh, I feel like it, having just a regular, you go to work and you have weekends off kind of routine for a lot of people, that's work. As long as you have something in place, that kind of is something where you're able to have a sense of normalcy. And sometimes it's good to shake up that sense of normalcy. But the thing is, at the end of the day, we are living through a gigantic major historical event, the likes of which our generation has never seen. And so ultimately, it's one of those things where our sense of normalcy is thrown out of here. Right now, you and I are able to podcast. We you know, have day jobs we're able to go to, and not everyone has that kind of comfort right now. So it's one of those things, as much as we want to be selfish and be like, yes, our, oh no, our entertainment options are going away, other people are going through like much bigger struggles, both financially right. as well as medically. Uh, and so it's yep. one of those things where in terms of perspective, as much as like I can speculate about those things, the biggest thing is when we recorded this at the very start of April 2020 – uh, a lot of different states, a lot of different, you know, uh, government lo- uh, principalities had said that it is going to be a stay-at-home order until the end of April. And with any luck, hopefully 
the crest of the worst of the coronavirus outbreak has happened and then it's on the way down. But at the same time, we have no way of knowing. At this point, I have friends in real life that have weddings scheduled for September and they're kind of like hemming and hawing a little bit like they hope things stable out by then. It might depend right. by region. It might depend a lot of other things, but they just don't know. So it's one of those things like in terms of summer 2020, at the rate things are going, so some people are going to be violating stay-at-home orders. Some more people are going to be having gatherings anyway. But ultimately, at the end of the day, a lot of people, for some people, aren't realizing the seriousness of it right now. So in terms of what music will happen, it's going to be online and it's going to be on our earbuds for a long time. Probably more than a lot of us want to be. And with any luck, this thing will be dead. And come August, we are going to run out in the sunshine and not be indoors for a solid month. And it's going to be fantastic and it's going to be great. And all of a sudden, every venue is going to be stacked full of bands for like, you know, two different headliners every evening, <laughs> different shows that are going on. It's going to be yeah. great and amazing. But it's one of those things we can hope for that. And I that probably made ha very well happen. It will be a busy end of the year. But right now, it's one of those things looking at it. There is no end date. There's nothing that we have to look forward to. I mean, that's just my prediction, yeah. though. Kyle, what's your prediction? Yeah, I mean, I, the way I was thinking about this is, and I, I think on a, you know, we've done a podcast before talking about the song of the summer, um, or, you know, we've just had conversations about that. And it's always this thing where the song of the summer is, just, you know, the way we think about it is like so weird, right? Of just kind of the thing that kind of is the, the, collective consciousness of everybody of like what they hear in the background what they're singing when they're driving down the road when they're out with their friends when they're you know whatever the case may be um if i think about this summer looking different than any summer we've ever experienced like what does that look like what is music's place like is is something like that a, a thing of comfort more than it is a, a thing of celebration or nonchalance um i, I guess that's the that's the way I'm, I'm trying to think about like what, what will this look like and how will music be a part of our lives if we get into the summer and we're still in this, in this state and there's, you know, these, these things around us that are impacting us in all these kind of negative ways. So, um, I don't know. Didn't do a good job of explaining that, but <laughs> I that's the thing. Nobody knows what to expect, right. right? And nobody knows what to think. So it's, it's just an impossible. An impossible question to answer. I think the biggest thing right now is that we can focus on the right now. And I think while some artists might be delaying their big album releases because there needs to be a sense of normalcy before there, this is a time where people can begin starting podcasts that they've been putting off or like reinvigorating things that they haven't done before or start recording or finding an audience. I have no doubt in my mind there will be some new artist, some newish artist that finds an audience, that finds a genuine audience through their Instagram streams and through their Facebook concerts and whatnot uh, that will actually be real. It'll be a legit thing and it'll be real artists. So for all other mm -hmm. artists that have the luxury of name brands, while well, they can go ahead and immediately stop, you know, stop for a bit or take a break or to you know put pause on their release cycle that they had in mind i think for a lot of other people this will be their opportunity to be creative and to be out there and to hopefully find that audience so right yeah. now we're all stuck at home so it's one of the things we're looking towards media more than ever before and so i am a fan of it i think it's going to be weird in like a couple months when there's just kind of this weird glut of movies or the tv shows that just have stopped filming and kind of won't be going on for a little bit longer as we figure this out but at the same time for other people they will use this opportunity and i'd say the biggest thing right now we as consumers 
can explore those things. We can look beyond those name brands that we know and love so well. And if we get a chance, we can also donate money, spend money on Birch for those artists that need it, do those kind of things that happen. Yeah. Like genuinely, one of the feel good stories that came out over the last while was about two weeks ago, prior to us recording this, uh, Bandcamp which of course mm-hmm. is the online hosting platform. They had a Friday where they suspended all finances going to, from to them directly. All the money that was spent on albums and merch would be going directly to the artists and people hearing that and realizing what was going on, especially for a lot of musicians that had the touring industry as the, one of their main sources of income. People went and they bought over $3 million worth of digital goods online yeah. on Bandcamp to support them. It's incredible. That is such a huge, awesome thing. And it makes it's one of those things that kind of makes you realize we can come together. There are things that we will be able to do to help people and celebrate art and keep it going throughout all of this. So it's one of those things where as much as there is a lot of terrifying stuff out there, there are good news stories. And make no mistake, when I hear a good news story about artists doing well, I will latch onto it with my teeth like a Doberman pincher and I will not let yeah. go. Just like you, yep. future nostalgia right now, it is not stopping anytime soon but yeah you know we we talked about it on our last show of like you know thinking about all these you know we have friends that have you know that run local businesses that are in a tough spot right now how can we support them um but you know we also talked about your your favorite musicians like if you love indie music in any form or fashion you know you know an artist that is you know gonna have a pretty tough few months here and chances are you were gonna go to a show and and buy merch anyway like do what you can to to support these folks um because now is a really great time for that and the, and what we saw with Bandcamp last week that was just fantastic so i mean the i i love that there is this um this support of of art right now um and it's really cool to see how people are kind of rallying around um so to close this out this is stupid this is dumb this is something that you will hate um but there's been some like really good albums so far this year, Evan. I, I feel like I'm always getting into like the fall before I can even think about like, okay, you know, what was it this year that really stood out? Like, how are we going to, how are we going to make all of our lists for the end of the year? Um, God damn, there's been some good stuff that's come out in the first three months of the year. And I want to talk about our way too early album of the year predictions. It can be something that hasn't come out yet. It can be something that's already come out, but I'm going to throw three things at you. Okay. I'm not, I'm not saying, Evan, I'm not saying that these should be considered for album of the year. I'm just having the conversation. All right. Okay. That's all we're doing. Just conversation. Non-committal. Don't come yeah. after Kyle on the Twitter with this. It could change. <laughs> Look, we've already talked about Dua Lipa, Future Nostalgia. It's a fucking good album. I will be interested to see how we think about it and talk about it come December. Um, but it's going to be in the mix. All right? Okay. Um, Childish Gambino released an album. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Donald Glover Presents, whatever the hell it is. <laughs> it's out there. It's pretty good. I, I'm, I've got a, the, our next show, we're going to be having a podcast specifically to, to discuss that album. I've got somebody coming on. We're going to talk about it. You'll hear more of my thoughts there. I, I'm not going to get into it too far other than to say it's, it's, it was a, a surprise. It's good. Um, and it's something to, uh, something to think about. And then the last two I'm going to throw out the weekend after hours. Mm-hmm. I love it. I, I'm interested to hear what you think about it, but then is it a concept uh, album about a failed relationship 
Is it a concept album? I don't that's know. What I keep, I, that's what I keep hearing, that it's about a relationship from start to end, in theory. I mean, I could see it. I don't know if I'd go that far. I wrote about it, of, of kind of my take on it, but um, I think I think it's good. And uh, Halsey's Manic, I mean, you know, again, if you know me, if you listen to the show, if you come to our website, you know how fucking fanboyish I am about Halsey. I'm sorry. But, you know, when we're talking about someone like Dua Lipa making an album that represents her and the artist that she's trying to be right now, I, I think we're seeing a few different pop artists come of age this year. Halsey is another one of those. Manic is an album that kind of breaks the mold um, of what I think a lot of like outside uh, folks that have heard her music or heard the singles or know of her expect about who she is in, as an artist. And I, I think it's an incredible album and I think it's going to be in the discussion come the end of the year. So th- there you go. I just threw out some stuff. I don't know what it means. You talk for a while. That's, that's totally fine. I get it. Uh, I'm going to throw out my f- just five quick ones real quick that have really struck with me so far. Uh, one is this group called Peel Dream Magazine. It's basically songwriting and sonics in the style of My Bloody Valentine. Not necessarily mm. in the overwhelming guitar swirling around you, even though it's all in mono kind of thing. So much as like this songwriting, kind of this weird psychedelic laid back mix. Peel Dream Magazine's second album is called Agiprot Alterna. And it's just, I, every time I hear a song off it, I just fall in love with it all over again. I think it's fantastic. Uh, Shelby Lynn, who is uh, one of my favorite country artists of all time. We did an episode on her for season four of the Chartographers. She has a new album come out that seems like her kind of returning to her stripped down pop country-ish roots kind of to a degree just this Mm. spoke it's just a beautiful thing it's the album that i didn't think she'd be able to do after her last two so i'm very excited that she's back to it uh there's this chicago band called rookie that is giving you full straight up 70s rock vibes uh and they are doing an extremely good job of it they're getting uh someone just sent me a video where their one of their songs was used in an orange fitness uh work at home video that they have and it's just kind of like that it's like one of the things where like they're nostalgic but upbeat enough where that could work for them i'm just like okay that's kind of fantastic uh and then the only other two i would immediately say is that uh christopher sky he put out this album that is uh this very kind of like not exactly broviant in the sense of taiko even though taiko's new one i actually kind of like but like this very nice kind of atmospheric thumping uh beat of an album uh, it's called what it what it is what it isn't uh christopher sky is very good but my number one my hands down the one that basically it's kind of like it struck me at first and then it's kind of worked its way into my head and now all any other album has to come out this year just has to dethrone it and i don't know if it will sam sparrow the guy who did mm. black and gold way way back in the day he put out a new album this year called boombox eternal it is him filtering his love of prince of whitney houston of janet jackson of that cheesy canned horn production he recreates it around his own new set of songs and it is thrilling it's one of those things where as much as i enjoy the 80s throwback vibe of future nostalgia it's still a contemporary album sam sparrow said fuck it and he just made a flat out 80s pop album (laughs) early 90s pop album it is jam and lewis it is terry riley it is all these things together and it is so effing good i keep coming back to the songs time and time again because they're the kind of like despite the production tricks that he uses every song feels like it's been around forever and just like anytime any song for that album comes on my shuffle i'm just like oh god damn he did it again it's just like i've listened to that album like i'm so upset it's not in vinyl right now because i would literally wear it out right now but sam sparrow's (laughs) boombox eternal is right now my one to beat for 2020. Fantastic. I love it. Those are, uh, those are some, uh, some hot takes. Yeah. Very good. 
Well, yeah. we'll see what happens. I I think before the end of the year, I if I had to place a bet, we're going to get a Kendrick Lamar album. Oh god, um, it has to. He was going to headline Glastonbury and then that got canceled. Yeah. You don't headline Glastonbury if you don't have an album coming out. Yep. Uh we're going to get Kendrick. Um we're going to get I I could see us getting a Casey Musgraves. Um, you know, who knows? We know mm-hmm. the 1975 is coming. There's a, there's a lot of stuff still to happen. Um, and you know, we'll see. But yeah. so far this year of like, when I think about recent years, like the, the amount of good stuff that's come out already has, has just been delightful. Yeah. So it's yeah. been great. Like I have a list that I keep going. I started doing it a while ago, just like an ongoing list that I start every year of like new, new albums that I really liked and I keep revisiting and coming back to. Uh, and this year, it is absolutely full. It is just full of great, great, fantastic stuff. I'm going to toss one other one out there just because I almost forgot to mention it. Nick A.M., he's an Iranian techno producer. I have no idea how he came across my radar. He has an EP called Utopia, which is fantastic. And quite frankly, Kyle Hawk, knowing you, knowing your aesthetic, knowing your loves, knowing your interests. There's a band called Circle Waves. I'm not sure yes. you've heard of them. Their yep. new album feels like the kind of thing that's designed for itsalldead.com. Yeah, that that is a good band, and uh, we we need to talk about it more. But yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I do enjoy them. I know. See, um, we love talking about good music, folks. And if you have your own picks, leave them in the comments below. Uh, can they leave comments <laughs> on this thing? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Um, what do you want to plug, Evan? Oh, um, I would just say for now, uh, if you get a chance, we if you need something to listen to, we got four whole seasons of The Chartographers, the podcast yeah. where me and uh, my husband, Taryn, we go ahead, along with our guests, rank the entire discography of an artist from worst to first. We finished our fourth season, which means we have recorded 50 different artist discographies all the way God through. Damn. So uh, if you need something to listen to, I highly recommend it. It's, it's a piece of love. We're going to do a fifth season later on this year. Uh, it's going to happen. And yeah, if you get to listen to it, it's on all the podcast places, The Chartographers. Yeah, it's a good one, folks. Check it out. Um, Evan, thank you so much for taking the time to come on our show once again. Uh, you're a beloved guest uh, on It's All Dead, and uh, I'm glad you came back on to talk Dua Lipa and much more. And you're a beloved host. I want you to know that. <laughs> and if you don't believe thank me, you, guys, leave a note in the comments saying how great Kyle is. <laughs> the comments. Uh <laughs> Uh, yes. Uh, if you like this show, you can uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast content. And thank you for listening. Uh, we hope you are well, staying healthy. Um, that is going to do it for this episode of It's All Dead. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the It's All Dead podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Then visit us at itsalldead.com for the latest music news, reviews, and much more.